translation was, it means something else. And whatever that occurs in the scriptures, I try to point it up to you as we go along. So we begin with 8 and 1. He came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now leprosy is likened in the Bible to sin. It was, was and is a very loathsome disease. In some cases, the eastern leprosy was so advanced and so remarkable that a person's body would look like it had white scales all over it. White and shining were the scales if it was that advanced on a person. It was so contagious that they could even uh, contact it through clothing. And so uh, they forbid the lepers to have any association with uh, anyone else. And the Jews uh, thought that people that had leprosy uh, and also the heathen thought that they had committed some grave sin, especially the heathen. They thought they had, they had done something bad against their God, their sun God, and so they were being punished. But another thing that the Jews believed was that only God could cure a leper. There was no human cure for a leper. See, and not only that, but one of the evidences 
and manifestations of the Messiah when he would come was that he would be able to cure lepers. That's why the Jews in their punishment and the destruction of their nation in 70 AD and their total disbursement of their people was so grave because they had so much light. They had, they had the Messiah doing the very same things that the whole of the prophets of their prophets said that he would do and they still rejected him. And so this leper came to him and said, Lord, he was probably a Jew, if you will, you can make me clean. Now he understood half of this, but he wasn't quite sure about the other. He knew that he could do it, but he didn't know whether he wanted to. That's the way it is with a lot of people when it comes to coming to God about healing, physical healing, or for that matter, even spiritual healing. Healing. A person believes that God can save, but they don't know whether he'll save them. Well, that's the way this fellow was about his... Uh, uh, Leprosy. He knew that he could do it, but he didn't know if he would. And so Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. Now that was absolutely against the law. It was forbidden for any Jew to touch anybody that had leprosy. It was forbidden for uh, for any uh, anybody that was unclean in any in any way to touch anybody else. But you see, Jesus was not going to contact leprosy when he touched this man. He was going to heal him of it. And so he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. It was a, an immediate miracle. If the man had all these patchy scales on him and uh, sores, uh, open sores, it was a form of cancer, like we understand cancer on the skin or the face or anything like that. And immediately he was totally clean, just like Naaman back there in the Old Testament when Elijah, Elisha said, go and dip in the river Jordan seven times, you're going to come up clean. And when... Uh, God struck Miriam, Moses' sister, with leprosy. Immediately struck her with leprosy when she went outside the camp and Moses prayed for her and God healed her immediately. Well, this was the same astonishing miracle. He touched him and he was immediately clean. He was totally healed of leprosy right now. Brother... E.E. E. Byram, a old-time Church of God minister around the turn of the century, was uh, given by God the gift or gifts of healing. They used to have down in Anderson, Indiana, years ago, a room called the Trophy Room. And down there when they would have the camp meetings that would last for 10 days or so, uh, people would get healed in those meetings in the Church of God con congregation that was going on down there, and they would take their crutches and their cancers and their braces and, and all of these things that helped them get along and put them in a room somewhere as a trophy room. And Brother Byram was a man who prayed for many people that were healed because he had the gifts of healing. 
uh, even to the extent of people coming back from the dead. Brother Byron prayed for at least two people that came back from the dead. One lady was dead three days, and she came back to life. He said that he believed it was always God's will to heal unless he revealed it otherwise. If someone is going to die and it's their appointed time and God has ordained that that person shall die, there's no point in for the saints praying for that person that they may be healed or out of order. But if there is no indication of that, one should press towards healing. There are at least in, the, in these two chapters, 8 and 9, a dozen miracles performed by Jesus, and we're going to go through them as we go along. So Jesus said unto him, See thou, tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. They were required by Jewish law to, to give some kind of gift uh, as a sacrifice for their healing. And so when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, or rather, yes, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. Centurion was a man who had a hundred soldiers under him. He was a Roman captain. And he came to Jesus. Jesus was going to Capernaum because that's where Peter lived. And Jesus stayed at Peter's house a whole lot of times while he was in the world. And he's saying, Lord, my servant, and the word Lord here is really translated sir. He didn't know that he was Lord. He just knew that he had healed people and he called him sir. Sir, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. I used to pick up a fellow for Sunday school or Bible class who uh, had the palsy. He was about 30 years old when I uh, first, well, I'd go out to the county home and with my car and I'd have to pick him up out of the chair and put him in the car and, and put the chair in and then go there and then when we were done, do the same thing backwards and go. And uh, he uh, was a real cheerful fellow all twisted out of shape, but he would try all sorts of things. He would try to typewrite uh, with uh, something, a band around his head and a stick or something in his head, and he'd typewrite like that. And, and he, uh, he would compose poems, and, and uh, he was just the, the most cheerful fellow. But he was all out of shape, all twisted up in the chair. When he'd get excited, he'd move all over the place. Good morning. And uh, I didn't want to get him excited when I was picking him up and putting him down because I probably dropped him, which I did one time, in the rain. I dropped him in the rain. I tripped over a little thing by the county home and lost him. And he hit his head on the, on the ground, and I thought, oh, what have I done to the poor fellow? And you know, he smiled. He said, don't worry, don't worry. Everything's all right. I'm okay. All he had was a little bump on his head, but I thought I killed him. And, uh, he was like this fella here. All twisted up. I know he didn't have pain like this fella had, but <coughs> he was hurting. 
grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. I am coming to heal him. Now most people that had slaves back in the Roman Empire, if they didn't, uh, if they weren't healthy anymore, they just shipped them off somewhere, and that was the end of them. They didn't get them off. But this fellow was concerned, and he was the same man who uh, cared for the Jews and built them a tabernacle or a temple or something, a uh, synagogue, and uh, and he gave them money. He was he was a. Uh, uh, a proselyte without outside the gate, which meant that he uh, he believed in Judaism, but he hadn't been circumcised and, and become a Jew in that manner. Uh, and he did things for, he believed in God, he believed in the God of the Jews, and you can tell he was a good man because he cared for his slave. And Jesus said, I am coming, I will come and heal him, is the English here, the Greek is, I am coming to heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Just say the word and he'll be all right. Don't even have to be there because I'm not worthy. This man was in a very humble posture. There was nothing proud about him. Now, you fellows have been in the service and you and you have captains or, or lieutenants uh, above you. You know, they're not any mild-mannered, uh, uh, pacifist-type people, those fellows. Uh, they're used to having people jump when they say, or they're used to having them say how high when they say jump. And uh, this fellow was totally out of character for a captain in the army. But this is what he needed in order to be saved. He had faith to believe that Jesus could heal his servant even when he was far away from him. And so Jesus commended him for his faith. And it is true what the Bible says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is That's one of those impossibilities of the Bible. We cannot please Him without faith. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Adam Clark said, God has purpose to work in behalf of every human being according to their faith. And that's why many people do not get saved. And that's why many people do not get healed. is because they do not exercise faith. And God doesn't pay any attention to any prayers that are without faith. Oh, he hears them all right, but he doesn't answer uh, except they are accompanied with faith. It is impossible, as I said from the scriptures, to have anything given to you by God without faith. So he believed. As you believe, it is done. And how did he believe? The man was healed. And so when Jesus was come to Peter's house, he saw his wife, his mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and ministered. 
unto them. Unlimited power. That's what Jesus has. I say has because he still has it today. He has all power both in heaven and in earth, so there's no reason in the world that any child of his, any saint of God, should go around sick all their life, or uh, dejected, or discouraged, or any other of the maladies that go along with a person that's unsaved. Because he has all power in heaven and earth, and he has promised to care for us all through life, what do we have to worry about? We should be like little children who have loving parents. They don't worry about a thing. Their parents take care of them. And so he, uh, we should have the same attitude. When we are truly a child of God, we don't have to worry about anything. Jesus told someone, be careful for nothing, which meant is tantamount to saying, don't worry about anything. She was sick, she needed healing, he touched her and she was well. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. The Jews in the day that Jesus came on the earth were a very wicked people. There was a great deal of demon possession in that land because of a, uh, a great interest in witchcraft. They fooled around with witchcraft and got into the devil's domain and it wasn't long until he got into them and there was a lot of people possessed by demons, just as there are a lot of people in certain parts of our country today that fool around with Satan worship and witchcraft and Ouija boards and, and, and uh, hypnotism and all of these strange things that go on. People are fascinated by them. They're curious about them. They want to know about the unseen world. And they fool around to the extent that the devil gets into the thing. There are people that actually have services like we are having, and their services are designed to worship the devil. Now, you can't tell me that there are not some devils possessed people in there when they invite him into the meeting. We do everything we can to rebuke him out of ours. But when people invite him in, that's what was going on in this country. So much witchcraft and so much devil possession, so Jesus dealt with these devils when they came, when people were possessed with them. Cast them out. Those spirits, those demons were terrified at the presence of Jesus when he came. I'll show you in another chapter as we go along. And then he healed all that were sick. All that were sick that had faith to be healed. Because they couldn't have been healed without it. We have so much sickness in the world. I sit at the restaurant on occasion and talk with men uh, that are there uh, every day, many of them. And I was amazed at how many of those people sat around and smoked cigarettes or something else, you know, that blow it in my face. And uh, I try to sit on the uh, upwind side of somebody so that I don't get it. But uh, I, I got a report the other day, and I was reminded by it uh, that the major cause of cancer in our country is cigarette smoking. And you know, the attitude uh, that 
cigarette smokers have towards smoking is very similar to the uh, to the Bible and to the attitude of the gospel. You know how? Well, most people know that cigarette smoking is bad and that it will produce cancer. Uh, that's a fact. They believe that. But they don't believe it's going to happen to them. So they keep on smoking. Well, the, a lot of people believe in God. They believe in heaven and hell. They believe that, that uh, there is a heaven and hell. And the fact is, just like smoking will produce cancer, the fact is that God will send every sinner who dies in his sins to hell. And that fact is uh, somewhat accepted by people, but they don't believe it's going to happen to them. It's going to happen to somebody else. See, that attitude is very similar. And so people keep right on smoking and die of cancer, and people go right out and sin and die there and go to hell. Very similar. He healed all that were sick. What did I, I started to say something else about sickness, didn't I? There are so many people that are sick that don't have to be. God has promised to heal, forgive all of our sins. People are ready to accept that. But he also said, and healeth, he who forgiveth all thy sins and healeth all thy diseases. I told a couple of people that were both of them smoking and both of them professing to be saved. I was telling them about healing and how that I had practiced divine healing for 28, going on 29 years, and that the Lord has been our only healer. And uh, pretty soon they got nervous and, and uh, didn't want to talk about it anymore. But to me it was natural to believe that God would heal. He's done it. He's kept his promise, I know, for 29 years of trusting him. So it is fulfilled in 17, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and he bare our sicknesses. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And, and a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. There was a lot of people who had disciples in, in that day. Certain leaders had people following them, just like they do today. And uh, this fellow said, I'll go wherever you go. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus, as far as material things in this world, was a very poor man. He didn't have anything of his own, really. Uh, any particular place to stay. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. The Jews always felt that if a person's father was aged, that they should stay around and take care of him until he dies. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Let the spiritual dead bury the physical dead. Follow me. 
And when they was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, and so much the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. See, Jesus was a man as well as God, and he got tired. And uh, from the... Um, I'm sure that there was a, a great deal of energy uh, dispensed in the work that Jesus did in healing, and plus they had to walk everywhere. And he didn't eat a whole lot of food. And he got tired. It was a chance to sleep while they were traveling across. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, or we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye so fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He rebuked the winds because the sea was going, swelling up because of the wind. So he rebuked the winds and the sea stops. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? When he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesians, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce, and that no man might pass by that way. I kind of think this is the reason why people are afraid of cemeteries. Uh, I just thought of that while I was studying this. I hadn't thought of it before, but... Why do people try to circumvent the cemeteries rather than walk on through them in the dark night when the moon is full and the leaves are blowing? Might have got the idea from here. These fellows lived in the tombs. Fierce fellows, totally taken over by the devil and living there. Another place it says they tried to chain them and they broke the chains. They were exceedingly strong. I understand that when people that are devil possessed become very powerful, even little little people. And uh, they have strength beyond their size. They have to hold them down with great big strong men. Well, they couldn't keep these fellas. They were so wild. They just lived out there in the, in the cemetery, exceeding fear so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? They were afraid of Jesus. All the rest of the people gave them wide berth and wouldn't come there, but they were afraid of Jesus. And so they spoke out through this man's voice. Are you come to torment us before our time? And there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou canst cast, if thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of the swine. Adam Clark said an interesting thing. He said, you know, the devil has to have permission to do a lot of things. He said, the devil couldn't throw those fellows off the cliff into the sea and drown them and destroy them, their souls. Uh, the, but Jesus gave them permission to go into a bunch of swine, and they ran down into the sea and were choked. He, they couldn't do it to the human beings until the, uh, uh, while they were in them, but they could, by permission, go into these swine. So you see, the devil can't do everything that he wants to do. And here they were horrified at the presence of Jesus and realized they were going to be cast out and asked to go into the pigs. 
And so they went and they ran violently down to the sea and were perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything that was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Yes, there are a lot of individuals and a lot of places that would rather not have Jesus or any of his servants around. There are countries in the world, in the Mohammedan, the Muslim world, uh, who forbid any proselyting by Christian missionaries. Uh, the country of China does not want to have any missionaries come in there. Although it seems from what I've heard from Far East Broadcasting Company that there's a great deal uh, of uh, spiritual activity going on in China and they're talking about several millions of people being converted to Christianity in China. Uh, and they've been uh, broadcasting in every province in China from uh, the Philippines for the last, uh, well, since 1948. And so it is finally paying off. But some people don't want to have Jesus around because they cannot continue in the way of life that they're living. They besought him that he would depart out of their coast. <coughs> Chapter 9 says, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, there brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. The Jews believed that no person could be healed till his sins were blotted out. That was a Jewish maxim. So Jesus did the thing that uh, would have been right in their eyes. He said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. I talked to a man who was a professing Christian, although I found out later that he was backslidden but still professing. He was dying of cancer, and he was talking about healing. And he told me a story that I'll relate to some of you who haven't heard it before, about a camp meeting down in Anderson, Indiana years ago, where they uh, had a time of fast so that they could have a, uh, uh, a healing meeting. Now these were thousands of people there in this meeting, and so they put away their food in order to have a healing meeting in the afternoon. And during the course of this meeting, someone brought up a man with a palsy on a, uh, on a uh, stretcher like this fellow. He was... Uh, lying on a bed or a couch of some sort that they could carry him around. And well, they brought this fellow up into the, uh, up on the platform, and all of these people were in the audience, and there was, all of a sudden there came a great hush over the whole audience. And this fellow was telling me the story, was there. And he said, these fellows came up, and, and they had the, one on each side, and they laid this fellow down here in front of the pulpit, and there was a lot of room back here, and there was a dozen old white-haired ministers back here sitting. They laid him down, and the whole place got quiet. Nobody moved. Nobody said anything. 
Presently, one old brother got up from his chair, walked around here to the fellow by the, uh, uh, laying down there, he was a 20-year-old fellow, never had walked before. There was about four or five steps coming up to the pulpit. And he took him by the hand and he began to pray. And as he began to pray, he began to believe. And, and he got more earnest in his prayer and finally said, young fella, get up from there. He took him by the hand and the man stood up. And the place became a bedlam, this fella said. He said there was some big old Negro woman about that big and a woman about that tall and she was sitting up in front of him and she started jumping up and down. And he said he moved this way and he couldn't see what was going on. And they were shouting. It took about 20 minutes for them to calm down because when he picked them up, uh, by his hand and stood him on his feet. He walked down those five steps, went down to his buddies and went right out of the place. Totally and completely healed and he had been a paralytic from the time he was born. <coughs> and this happened probably in the 1940s, 30s or 40s, down in Anderson, Indiana. Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Many times people are healed when they get saved. Some people have maladies and afflictions all of their lives and they come to God and get forgiveness for their sins and God heals them at the same time. And so behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, or rather seeing their thoughts, did you know that he can see your thoughts? Did you know that he knows your thoughts? That when you're all by yourself or when you've done something that you don't think anybody knows anything about? I want to tell you that he sees it and knows everything about you. And if I can do anything else but that, I want to make you self-conscious this morning about the fact about what you do every day. I want you to be conscious of the fact that God knows everything that you're doing and every, every thought that you think. And, and these fellas, and this was a miracle in itself because they didn't believe he could do this. But he saw their thoughts, so he said, Wherefore think you're evil in your hearts? For whether it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise and walk. Adam Clark said it is equally as uh, easy and equally difficult to do either one. Arise and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Did that power ever diminish in 1900 years? As far as some people are concerned, it is. And yet there are millions of people who profess to be born again, who profess to be saved this morning, profess to know the very Jesus that we're talking about. And yet when it comes to their physical afflictions and diseases and sicknesses, what do they do? Do they come to Him and ask the elders of the church to pray over them so that they might be healed? No, the first thing they do is run off to some doctor in hospital. And yet they're claiming to know Jesus. After all, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And that includes not only uh, the salvation of our soul, but the healing of our bodies as well. And every true uh, group or individual who believes in Christ should believe and does believe in divine healing. After all, the one who made the body and knows every function of it, is he not able to cure it quicker than anybody else? Of course he is. So, he said, son, 
Some man hath power on earth to forgive sins, and saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And what did he do? He arose and departed to his house, just like this young fellow I told you about. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in his house, behold, many publicans and sinners, sinners being the nations, uh, just Gentiles, uh, and publicans were tax collectors, came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus makes a definite cleavage between the righteous and sinners. But do the churches of the world do that? Do the fundamentalist evangelical churches do that? Is there a clear definition on their, on their tongues and in their doctrine about the righteous and the sinners? No, they call themselves righteous while they say they're sinners. How can there be such a thing as righteous sinners? That's an impossibility. We are either righteous or we're sinners in the sight of God. He didn't call the righteous. Why doesn't he call the righteous? Because they already got saved. And they're no longer sinners. Such a doctrine of sinning Christians is not in this Bible. I defy any preacher that calls himself a minister of the gospel to show me in the scriptures where a person who is saved is also a sinner. And I'll show him hundreds of verses that show that people who are righteous are no longer sinners. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus saith unto them, Can the children of the bridegroom mourn, as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth in an old garment, for that which is put in it fill, to fill it up taketh from the garment and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine in old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish. But they put new wine in the new bottles and both are preserved. There'll be plenty of time for fasting and mourning after Jesus left the earth. But while he was with them, they didn't have to do that. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead. She's now dying. Do you notice that in some of these cases, it was life or death? Why is it that people sometimes will wait until it becomes a life and death situation before they will cry out to God? Wouldn't it be much better to live for God every day and enjoy His blessing and then when it comes to a life or death situation we can just calmly ask the Lord to do something about it. He said she is now dying. Every true father and mother cares for their children and pities them when they're young and they're sick and maybe coming to the place of dying and they feel so helpless they can't do anything for them. I think that's how this fellow said, felt. 
But he said, come, now, come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did the disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. Here's a woman who had great faith. All she felt that she, she, had, she had an affliction which was uh, awkward for her, and, and she didn't want to know anybody to know anything about it. Not only that, but anybody that was unclean was not to touch anybody else. And she was considered unclean in her affliction. But she said, if I can just touch his garment, I shall be whole. That was great faith, wasn't it? So she did. And Jesus turned about him, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Her minister, her church, her profession, no, none of those things. Her faith is what made her whole. And a person can have faith, whether there's a minister, a church, or anything. Or anybody. You can have faith out in the middle of nowhere when there's no one around to help you. Be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Another place in the gospel that it says she spent almost all of her living on doctors and hospitals. And just think if they didn't have health care today, how poor everybody would be. Well, we'd be the poorest nation in the world if nobody paid for all of this health care going on. I was listening the other day and they were talking about uh, cardiovascular, uh, what it cost for the heart and the circulatory system in this country. In 1983, it cost the insurance companies and the individuals or whatever, 54 and 9 tenths billion dollars just to take care of the heart and the circulatory system. Can you imagine if that's only that, what about the rest of the body? When you go into a hospital, that's the most expensive hotel there is. They may wait on you a little better than the hotel, but I'll tell you, they charge you and charge you or somebody else unbelievable. Do we see Jesus charging any money here? Did he ever say, well, if you've got enough money, I'll heal you? That's the fake healer on television talking like that. Send me some money and I'll send you a card and you can be healed. See? That's what they do. They're very easy to spot. They're interested in getting your money. I remember a Church of God preacher telling me that he stood there and watched Oral Roberts years ago, years and years ago, when we just had radio. And Oral Roberts was on radio and I used to listen to him occasionally and when I was a, a boy. He would say, just lay your hand on the radio and I'll, we'll pray for you and, and everything will be all right. Well, this Church of God minister was in, his, uh, in the, a place where he, he came down in an airplane on an Indian reservation. And there was a whole line of people who were sick and heard about him. He got off the plane with his people and he... He went right on down the line, tapping them on the head, just as quick as he could, and taking their dollar. All the way down the line, when he got to the end one, without even saying goodbye, he got back in the plane and left. That's the kind of fake healers that are around. You know people will just run to those people 
it's just hard to believe. And here the Lord has promised healing for nothing. All you have to do is believe and have faith, obey the gospel, get an experience of salvation, and you can have everything that God's So she was healed. So when Jesus came into the ruler's house, he saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. And he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. Did you notice the Lord put the unbelievers out? The unbelievers and the scoffers don't, don't believe in what we're talking about. So he put them out. And he took the maid by the hand and the rose, and the fame thereof went abroad in all the land. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord, yes, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, and saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. He challenged them. He said, do you believe I can do it? Now that might bring doubt in someone's mind. But it didn't theirs. For he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus straightly charged them, seeing that, that, you, that no man know it. But they went out and told everybody. My wife and I were sitting watching uh, uh, some people down in Haiti. They were uh, ministering to blind children. Uh, one little boy, was it a boy? It was about this tall and he was blind from birth or blind from glaucoma and they were pleading with people with a number across the screen to send their money so they could minister unto these children that were blind down there and it was very beautiful to see these children with their eyes blind and, and they were well fed they were taking care of them alright down in Haiti but they, uh, they were pleading so that they could have money in, in order to take care of them and I thought to myself well why in the world don't they just lay hands on them and pray for them and they're healed of their blindness. No, they couldn't do that. They couldn't do that because they're part uh, of a system that does not believe in divine healing. Nor practice it as well. But by now, you realize that in the church of God, and in every true church of God, the people that are there who believe practice divine healing. If they would have Read, read what Jesus did and believed his power is the same today, they could lay hands on those people. They wouldn't have to minister to blind people all their lives and take care of them. They could lay hands on them and heal them and they could go around and be normal. But they were pleading for money so that they could take care of them and they said in, as part of the, uh, of the uh, testimony they said that this little child probably be blind all its life. You see how, how uh, unbelief is so deep-rooted in people like that. Now I, as a Church of God minister who believes in divine healing, I couldn't send them any money uh, to do something like that. I couldn't consciously do that. If they ask me to come down and pray for them, yes, I go and do that. The maid is not dead, but she's sleeping in the laughter and the scorn. Then the blind men came, and they believed according to their faith, and their eyes were open. 
But when they when they part, departed, spread abroad his fame in all the country, and they went out, behold, they brought unto him a dumb man possessed with a devil. Now I've wondered about this. I play golf with a fellow that's deaf and dumb. And uh, very pleasant fellow. Uh, when I was a little guy, I, uh, I got on a football team and we went over to Delavan Dairy and we played the kids that were deaf and dumb in the school over there. And uh, I have noticed people and when I read something like this and I, I see people that are deaf and dumb, I wonder, is the devil doing this to them? Is this from some physical malady or could the devil be doing that to them? Causing them not to be able to speak and not to hear? I wonder about that. Because it is possible that the devil can do things like that. But as I told my wife one time, I'd have to have a bolt in the blue, a bolt from the blue, a direct message written across the sky or something for me to go about saying, yes, you're possessed with the devil, and that's why you're dead and gone. No, I wouldn't do that. God would have to reveal that to me. So, when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. And I'll tell you something else. In the churches of the world, who have merely a profession in Christianity, but not the experience, it's never so done there either. Like the cardinal who was taking in one of his uh, writers years, centuries ago. He took him into where the Catholic Church had a lot of its wealth and store. And he said, not like Peter who said, silver and gold have I none, we can't, we don't say this anymore. He was kind of bragging about all the wealth they had. And the fellow said, yes, that's true, but neither can it be said, arise and walk. See, they have gained their wealth, but they lost something else. Neither can it be said, arise and walk. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of devils. Now that is, that is unconscionable for someone to say a thing like that. It shows you the depths of depravity that the Jews existed to say a thing like that in view of what he did. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That's interesting, isn't it? Some people will come to the Lord for colds and come to the Lord for flus and, and come to the Lord for uh, little things, but when it comes to serious life-threatening things, that's a different matter, isn't it? But it said to heal every sickness and every disease. Let's take it up to modern day. Some of the diseases that are coming about in modern days, they haven't even got names for them yet. But there are certain sicknesses and diseases that have no cure, according to the, the modern medical people. Uh, 
Leprosy still has no cure. Cancer still has no cure. Uh, muscular dystrophy and uh, muscular sclerosis, I understand either of those have a cure. There's no cure for permanent blindness. Uh, they have mechanical means now through computers of making people walk whose spines are broken. But there are many things that there are no cures for today. But Jesus, there's nothing that doesn't have a cure. When I think of them saying there is no cure, I don't believe them. Because I know there is a cure for every sickness and every disease. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. And saith he to his disciples, the, the harvest truly is plenteous. There's plenty of people that would believe if they heard. The harvest is plenteous. I didn't really hear it till I was 24 years old. Never heard the gospel in the truest sense. And the night I got saved, I didn't even hear it too clearly then. But I knew that God was speaking to me and I had to do something about it. In spite of the fact it wasn't real clear then. But it was my opportunity. And when my opportunity came, I took it. I was one of those who was in the harvest. But the laborers are few. We sing a song like that. The laborers are few. Pray the Lord. Therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Not a bunch of sinning Christian missionaries going all over the world spreading that venom of doctrine. That doesn't get anything done right. All they do is take the false Christianity we got over here and spread it over there. What we need to do is have true ministers of the gospel, true missionaries of the gospel, saved and sanctified people, saints, holy people going out into the world and preaching the gospel. Then, then his harvest will be harvested, not until then. All they produce in foreign lands is another Babylon of confusion of religion. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Sometimes when you pray the Lord of the harvest, He says, well, I'm going to send you. You're praying for laborers? You do that. At least a dozen miracles here in this chapter alone to prove that Jesus was not only man, but that He was God. And it's not just a nice story for a thousand Two thousand years ago. It's just as up to date as today for those who believe. He is still the same today. He hasn't changed. Society and cultures may change, but he hasn't. He's just the same. Where is that song, The Laborers? Is it in this book? The laborers are few, and still there's much to do. 314 in this book. Why should I be idle? While there is so much to do, the wheat is right to harvest with the laborers. The morning sun is high, but it will be sinking in the western sky. 
No eye shall not be idle, for in God's word I see, no idle in the vineyards go thou and work for me. The work of the church is twofold. It is to get the lost saved and to perpetuate itself in teaching and in ministry. And every true church of God has that for its mission. My wife and I went down to a, a church in Fort Smith, Arkansas that ministers to some 550 children in disadvantaged homes, bring them to Sunday school. And these people go out every Saturday with a bus and uh, they get the children's pledges to come to Sunday school. And then they dig down in their own pockets and get the money, they take their own money and buy gas for the bus. And then the children don't have anything to eat because the parents don't care whether they go or not, uh, whether they eat or not. So they dress themselves and they get on the bus and, and, the, and the, each bus pastor gives them food that he has bought, she's bought to bring along. And we spent four days with those people and, and uh, this song fits what they're doing. The laborers are few. There were a few laborers down there. They are a Church of God congregation that is doing the very thing that should be done. Some of those children that come up through that bus ministry and go to Sunday school eventually get saved and become part of, this, part of the congregation. There was a young man there who got saved through the bus ministry and, and uh, he told me that he was 18 years old before he ever heard that Jesus Christ was saved. Never heard of Jesus Christ 18 years old. Well, he has a family and he has a 13-year-old son and that 13-year-old son, as well as other children, the 13-year-old already knows that he's going to be a preacher. And that was a very impressive time for me to see that not only we're not just a small little, we're a small congregation too, but we're not small when it comes to going around seeing what other people are doing. They're doing in their place what they're do here. They're doing exactly the same thing trying to minister to people and tell them the truth and cause them to want to come to Christ who is the same today. Let's stand and sing this song.
Yeah. 